You join us on our perch at the far end of the bar. He's Ben. He's Richard. And just before you joined us, we were talking about window cleaners. Yeah, we were. We were because the window cleaners around uh, just outside where we are at the moment recording. And uh, I was just saying that um, uh, because you asked me if he's a whistler. Mm. And he's not really a whistler. He's a good storyteller, my window cleaner. Um, and he did tell me a, a wonderful story about um, how he was cleaning some windows for a buddy of his. And it's one of these houses where you can only get to the back by going through the front and going through the house. Okay, like, like my house. There you go. Right. So the only way to get to the back is through the French doors onto the little bit of garden at the back. Then just French doors, does the upstairs windows. He had to take his ladder through. Mm. Anyway, um, he was telling me not that long ago that this guy was having some work done in the house. Mm -hmm. And so when he took his ladders through, the guy's doing the work and the guy had brought his girlfriend to work. Now, the workman, brilliant workman, uh, I can't remember whether it, whether it was it was some kind of building work. His his girlfriend, the builder's girlfriend, was a goth, right? She had all the gear on, mm-hmm. and she was sitting there doodling. And so, um, anyway, he was talking to the builder, and the builder was talking to him. So we got the window cleaner and the builder talking. Goth sitting on the uh, sofa, and the owner of the house comes in, and the three of them start to have a conversation. Okay, and suddenly the girl says, "Oh." And they look around, and she says, what's that? And they look through the French windows, and they see, on the lawn, a squirrel. Yeah. And She'd never seen a squirrel before? No, she said, what's that? And they kind of looked at each other, and uh, the window cleaner said, it's a squirrel. And she said, oh, is it yours? He has some. He has some very, very good stories. My window cleaner. <laughs> I think we could do a book. I think I was telling you earlier on that um, he's not a whistler, and and although I've tried to prize what we would call the gemstones of window cleaning stories out of him, the confessions of a window cleaner. Indeed, <laughs> he won't tell, and I know that they're. <laughs> I know that they're there. But I think he's he's much like a psychiatrist or a doctor, or indeed a priest. He's taken the oath. He's taken the oath, and he will not tell the tales. But if he ever does, we will bring them to you here at the far <laughs> end of the bar. <laughs> See, now, my window cleaner is a very lovely man. Yes. And he may well have uh, an endless well of amazing stories. But he's Polish and ah. doesn't speak very much English, so I'll oh. never know. What's that um, gizmo that you can get now? Um, a friend of mine who uh, runs a pub, she was telling me how she's going to get out of it here. They've just bought this property in Bulgaria. Yeah. And um, and they're going to go and live there. Their, their retirement is secure. I said, you've made all the applications. Oh, yes, done all the applications, everything. Good going to properly do it. I said, how's your Bulgarian? She said, I haven't got a word. Mm. Not a word. Which is a bit frightening. And then I said, well, well, how are you going to communicate? She said, I've got this device on my phone. Is it called Babel? Okay. That makes sense. Like the yeah. Babel fish you put in your ear that instantly translates. Yeah. I think it's called Babel. You, you just speak your line into the phone and then it speaks your line back to the person. But that's a very tortuous way to communicate with someone. 
I'd say so. And do you really want your phone listening to every conversation you have about everything with anyone? Well, any transaction at all yeah. has got to be conducted through a phone. Yeah. So everything from two apples, please, to um, to anything else. Yeah. I, I, all manner of things went through my, ma- my head then. I thought, no, we don't need to go there, do we? What happens when the uh, internet is down? You can't talk to anyone. No, you can't. No, but mind you, there is a generation of people, and I look at my children here, that probably applies to them as well. Yeah. <laughs> have you got a drink for me? I have. Do you oh, know, do- I, I woke up last night in a cold sweat thinking, what the hell is he going to offer me this week? Well, um, do you drink milk? Do you know what? I, I No, I drink, I have a little bit of milk in my tea, but otherwise... I drink uh, almond milk with my cereal. Do you? Mm. Are you um, non-dairy? No, I don't. I just don't. I've just gone off milk a bit, really. I prefer almond milk. Lighter, better for you. Yeah, many people aren't um, very keen on the dairy. And, and for many people, the dairy isn't very keen on them. Mm. Um, but, and this is where research comes into things. Nobody, nobody ever tell me that I don't do my research before we come and do the podcast. Research suggests that camel's milk is pretty much the closest that you can come to a human's mother's milk. Yeah. Particularly in terms of its immune-boosting proteins. And okay. we all love those these days, don't we? Oh, yeah. Anything immune-boosting bo- is, is going to go to the top. Um, it's got immune-boosting proteins in as camel's milk. And because of the chemical composition of camel's milk, apparently it's more digestible. Okay. And better tolerated than cow's milk. Yeah. Can I tempt you with some camel's milk? I suppose. I mean, I mean it's the camel put, over the almond here. You could put a bit in me tea and then ask if I wanted one hump or two. <laughs> That's gold, that is. One that. hump or two in your camel's milk tea. Come on. Absolutely <laughs> wasted on you. Isn't it ever? Um, so you've got a nice glass of warm camel's milk, one hump or two. Yeah. But if you don't fancy that, if you don't fancy that, there are alternatives. If you don't fancy the, the camel's milk or the, or the cow's milk, how about, well, you've got your nut-based drinks, your yeah. almonds, mm-hmm. which you obviously have already uh, discovered. Oat although, as well. Although, how do you milk an almond? <laughs> Same as you milk everything else. You squeeze it. Oh, okay. You squeeze the almond until it gives up its milk. Yeah. One day you'll have to give me a tour of the factory. Yeah. I'm sure it will be fascinating. 7% of humans are allergic to cow's milk, apparently. That's, that's not me. Um, I like a bit of cow's milk. In fact, I was brought up as a kid on untreated milk. Oh, yeah. Um, we had a local farmer who just basically took it out of the cow, put it in a bottle, and just delivered it. And we were all fine. You have to drink that quick, don't you? Well, I think well, well, we did anyway. In the days of you know the two bottles on the on the doorstep every morning, mm. <clears throat> and I'm not sure it went in a refrigerator either. Uh, might have been on a cold step at my grand's, but uh, okay. but anyway. Um, the, so you got the cow's milk, you got the almond milk. How about goat's milk? Um, I have tried goat's milk. It's got its own uh, character to the taste. Has it? Say. Has it got a pleasing nose? Yeah, a bit like, I mean, goat's cheese is something you get used to over time. Mm. That's what I find. And now I'm a big fan. And, uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I'd drink goat's milk if there was nothing else. Mm. Um, the milk's 
nutritive qualities are very good. The last two decades, it's contributed to almost 60% increase in production. Uh, but it's a bit on the pricey side. That and camel's milk, both on the pricey side. Yeah. Yak's milk. Now, yak's milk, didn't that feature in something I offered you, um, curdled by Tibetan monks a couple of weeks ago? I think it did, yeah. I think there was a beer that had yak's milk in it. Mm. Um, apparently, the yak doesn't mind the cold weather. Big woolly coat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which makes it uh, very good for those people who can't get cow's milk, who don't like the cold weather. Um, they live primarily in high mountain areas like Western China and Mongolia, Ulaanbaatar, mm-hmm. where they're sometimes the only dairy species available. Okay. Um, it's very nutritious. There's more protein in yak milk than cow, goat, or even human milk, and higher individual amino acids. You like your amino acids, don't you? Um, all about the amino acids. Indeed. Uh, in the Tibetan plateau, there are some 95% of the world's yaks. And people there drink yak milk and yak butter in their tea. That's but, what it was, wasn't it? It was yak tea we were talking about. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned just then that the main uh, attractive element of the yak milk and cheese and butter was that was the only dairy animal available. Yes. So that's why they drink and eat a lot of it. And there's no almond trees. <laughs> yeah. uh, buffalo milk. Yeah. The old buffalo mozzarella is nice. We know oh, that. yeah. yeah I had some of that the other week. It Did you? was absolutely gorgeous. Velvety, smooth. Oh, lovely. Beautiful. Uh, compared to cow's milk, buffalo has more fat, protein, lactose, and minerals and yields more cream, butter, and cheese owing to its higher solids content, also known for its distinct flavour, which is noticeably nutty when boiled. I don't think I've ever had the boiled nutty mm. buffalo milk. I'd have to try that. Uh, get some cheese. Cheese and boil it. Have you ever seen a program called This Farming Life? No. Well, that's a, a program on BBC television. Oh, is this and the one about several different farming families? That's where they right. Ah, oh, right. Yes, indeed. Um, I might have seen one or two. Yeah, I, one of my favourite programmes. It's uh, a, an hour of escapism, watching other people work really hard. <laughs> um, but one of them is a buffalo farm up in Scotland, and I've oh, actually right, okay. uh, ordered some buffalo stuff from uh, that farm uh, in the past. And I've got to tell you, a buffalo burger is a thing of juicy joy. Is it? Mm, well worth it. And um, various other things you can get there as well. Buffalo steaks, very nice. So, Just come, it comes back vacuum-packed and ready mm, to go. Absolutely. Highly recommend it. Not one in the bag steaks, is it? No. It's a, like you treat it like a proper steak. Oh, with right. respect, uh, yes. A little bit of salt and pepper and a frying <laughs> pan. Uh, can I tempt you with, whilst we're still going with the milk, horse or donkey milk? Have you got anything with any booze in it this week, or is yeah, it all milk? Well, we might be coming to that. No, I don't think we are. No, I haven't. I've, not, I've got no booze. We're, we're, we're strictly dairy. Uh, so what was the last one? Horse, Horse or... and donkey milk. I mean, it doesn't, it's not saying drink me, is it? People drink donkey and horse milk for its hypoallergenic and therapeutic qualities. And also when there isn't any other milk available. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the people who flog this stuff will tell you that horse milk has antacid properties and some use it to help treat chronic hepatitis, peptic ulcers and tuberculosis. I'm not a medicine man. Mm. Uh, You can tell this bandana doesn't really uh, qualify me in medicine at all. No. Uh, But... I can tell you that um, people make claims about stuff all the time. It doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean to say 
that it's true. A couple more, a couple more, just to finish off with. Sheep's milk, I always find the sheep's cheese too strong for me. Okay, yeah. yeah. Milk would be the same, you'd think, wouldn't you? How about the zebu milk? The what? The zebu. The zebu? You know those cattle that have a hump on their back? Um, no, but carry no, on. You've never seen a cattle with a hump on its back? Um, they're very popular um, in some places, in some climates. They have a hump on their back uh, near their head. It looks like they've got two heads if the okay. sun's in the right direction in the silhouette. But that's a zebu. And um, you can get a gla- you can get a glass of milk out of a zebu, okay. <laughs> but but and this will make you um, uh, this might make you gag actually. The milk from the zebu has high solid content. Ah, uh, what floating in it? One lump or two. We're back yeah. to that, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, then there's reindeer milk, uh, giraffe milk. I mean, good luck milking a giraffe. I, I looked that one up because I couldn't believe it. And apparently, uh, a lot of people have gone looking for giraffe milk, and I don't know why. There was a study done that analysed the milk of a single giraffe while it was under anaesthesia. However, it seems that the giraffe milk is, is not the next superfood. And experts don't doubt that it can be consumed, but mm. there's nobody out there actually milking them. For a start, you would lead a, a very tall milking stool, wouldn't you? Well, I'm just picturing myself now as I was um, trimming the hedge the other day on the top of a stepladder, wobbling all over the shop. Much the same milking a giraffe, I should think. Uh, and if, if you end up hanging on to the teats of a giraffe, because <laughs> the ladder's falling away, but he, I don't think that's going to end well, do you? Is Harry Hill still doing that video program? <laughs> I see 200 quid coming my way. And finally, 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 uh, when researchers in India analysed the crystal structure of my final milk offering to you, Ben, mm-hmm. they discovered protein sequences with all the essential amino acids, plus proteins, fats and sugars, and the milk turns out to be 3.5 times more calorie-rich than cow's milk. Okay. However, the milking process might be even more difficult than the giraffe because okay. this milk is the milk of a cockroach. Oh. Cockroach juice. Nah. You don't fancy it, do you? That's right up there with bin juice. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Not drinking that. Oh. So... Can I tempt you with any of that, or are you going to stick with your almonds? I think I'm going to stick with my almonds, but I do think we have got the title of this week's podcast. Which is? Hanging on the teats of a giraffe. <laughs> Perfect. Got something you want to tell us? Email thefarendofthebar at gmail.com or find us on Insta, Twitter or Facebook using the hashtag TFEOTB. While we're in the natural world, Yes. What do you do when elephants start eating your food? I don't know. What do you do when elephants start <laughs> eating your food? Well, I mean, everyone loves an elephant, right? Most people, anyway. There's a fella in Belgium called Heinrich, and he hates elephants. Oh, does he? Well, Heinrich and the scummy poachers apart. Yeah. Even farmers in Africa, who are the uh, kind of focus of this particular story they I have frequently... a farm in Africa that was my Meryl Streep impersonation okay they frequently find 
<laughs> yeah, just which, one for film fans. Just one for film fans. Which of those psychedelic milks have you been on this week? <laughs> <laughs> so, the farm is in Africa. Yeah. I had a farm in Africa. That's Meryl, Meryl Streep, Streep impersonation, yeah. yeah. Out of Africa. Um, most of those farmers, even the ones who frequently find their crops being munched by a herd of elephants, yeah. understand the importance of elephants to the ecology and the economy of the continent overall as well in terms of attracting tourists, etc. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it would be better, let's face it, if the elephants didn't eat the crops of the farmers because one elephant in a day can eat the entire crop of one family and destroy their livelihood and uh, and leave them starving as well. So, how do, how do you stop them? Don't know. Big fence. Well, actually, do you know what? You're not a million miles away. What are elephants really afraid of? Mice. Um, mice in the cartoons. Yes. People with guns and... Big fences. Bees. Oh, bees. Apparently so. Uh, if elephants see or hear bees, they will run a mile, will they? Yeah, because elephants occasionally, when they're rooting around for something to eat and pulling things off a tree with their trunks, they and everything, will disturb some bees. They will, and they'll cause a swarm. And the bees attack the elephants and sting them around their eyes and their ears and even the inside of their very sensitive trunk. Which, I mean, I don't have a trunk, but I can imagine that would be very uncomfortable. So, understandably, the elephants get very annoyed and agitated, yeah. and they shake their heads flap their ears, stamp their feet and just try and stop the attacks and run off. And this kicks up, obviously, huge clouds of dust and causes even more damage to the surroundings. So the crofters become beekeepers, do they? This is what's happened. It's been the case for thousands of years that indigenous African populations have said elephants are scared of bees yeah. and Westerners have said, no, they're not. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah. I'm going to tiny little bee scare an elephant. But actually, it's been established now Research led by one Lucy King in southern Kenya has confirmed it for a fact. And now the African farmers in the sort of hotspot areas where elephants and humans are coming into contact with each other more and more as the population of humans grows and the areas set aside for elephants shrinks. In those hotspots, they're going to build 20,000 beehive fences to protect the farms and the crops in an effort to try and ensure that the three species, humans, elephants and bees, can live in harmony once again. And this is such a genius idea. It works so well on so many levels. It means that farmers don't have to go and shoot the elephants to try and scare them away. It means that the bees, which, as we know, are vital for the environment at the best of times, can help protect the crops, but also pollinate and increase the crop yield and the overall health of the plants. And obviously there'll be an uptick in the production of honey as well. So, I mean, that's an ingenious win-win-win situation, I think, for working out how to protect farms from elephants using bees. Brilliant. When I see footage of rare elephant in its natural habitat, it's very often the Serengeti, it's quite dusty. You know, you'll see Mm. a tree here, a tree there. Uh, You will see them... um, causing devastation but I don't see an awful lot of greenery and flowers and such and you need greenery and flowers and flowers need bees and bees need flowers Mm. Um, so presumably 
this the there is a certain amount of encroachment from the elephant into the greener areas, and this is where some of those farms are. Yeah, the, the, because the greener areas have shrunk and been built on in a lot of cases now. So the the natural kind of habitat where elephants have always eaten has got smaller over the over the decades. So yeah, they've started um, eating the, the crops of farmers. Yeah. Instead, so yeah, here we go. Well, that's a that's a that's a, a great way to solve a problem, isn't it? Terrific. Yeah, admittedly not very funny, but genuinely interesting at least. Shall we do a pub quiz? Always up for a pub quiz today. We are throwing our attention at space. Oh, okay. I'm going to give you three interesting facts that may be facts or they may be fiction. So we're back to our old friend, fact or fiction, on the subject of space. The first of which is this. I'd like you to ruminate, as the elephant does. I'd like you to ruminate on this fact, that... The UFO that crashed at Roswell, Mm. New Mexico, in 1947, was really not a UFO at all, but the pet project of an oceanographer. Okay. Yeah. Fact or fiction? The UFO that crashed at Roswell, New Mexico, in 1947, was really the pet project of an oceanographer. Okay. So, fact or fiction? Number two, astronomers have discovered a planet where it rains molten glass sideways. (laughs) Wow. Is it habitable in the future, do we think? (laughs) Funnily enough. (laughs) Astronomers have discovered a planet where it rains molten glass sideways. Is that fact or is that fact? It sounds like it should be a fact. Mm. There again, it could be fiction. And third and final one today is this. NASA has a program designed to blow up asteroids with nuclear bombs. <laughs> so you've seen the film, haven't you? Is that fact or is that a fiction? We will discover what is fact, what is fiction, what is true, what is false, a little bit later on. Um, do you read Elmore Leonard? Uh, I'm not overly familiar with the work of Elmore Leonard. No. Uh, Elmore Leonard... Um, is one of uh, was one of the great American writers from his many stories TV series have uh, developed Justified was one of my favourites um, Out of Sight the movie with um, George Clooney that was another one of his N- many many Elmore Leonard books have been turned into films but Elmore Leonard the, the, one of the great things I love about his writing is the fact that when he writes crooks and bad guys they are always stupid um, doesn't stop them being mean and evil, but most of them are stupid. So I thought it might be interesting here at the far end of the bar to have a look at some really stupid crimes. Are you ready for this? This is our I love a stupid crime. Stupid crime section of the show. Um, meet, if you will, Verlin Aslep. Verlin. <laughs> now he sounds like he spelt his name incorrectly to start with. He is an anagram. <laughs> so Verlin Aslep, fifty-nine-year-old who wasn't the brightest of bank robbers, attempted to rob a family dollar store in 2012. But when the clerk refused to hand over the money, Verlin produced 
a bullet. <laughs> no gun, just a thirty-eight caliber bullet. What was he going to do? Throw it at them really quickly. <laughs> Held it up and he threatened her with it. Now, can you imagine? She's looking at this bullet. She's chewing some gum. Mm -hmm. Looking at the bullet. And she lifts one corner of her mouth in a knowing smile. And yeah. poor old frustrated Verlin leaves the store and was promptly arrested by the police who had both bullets and guns. Yeah. Very good. If you're going to go in to rob a bank, you need both. You do. Let me take you to Erica, California, and one Benjamin North, uh -huh. who tried to shop in his local Safeway uh, with a stolen credit card. So he done his <laughs> shopping, gets to the till, and he tries to pay with a stolen credit card. Yes, Benjamin had been filching credit cards. He filled up his trolley, got to the checkout, paid with the card, and off he went. And there would have been a good chance that he may have even got away with it. Had he not used his own Safeway card at the checkout to get a discount? <laughs> like a club card? Yep. Oh, my goodness. Just wonderful. He's, he's really let down the good name of Benjamin there. He has, but he's upheld the name of Elmore Leonard because, you know, as Elmore would always suggest in his books, crooks and the bad guys are stupid. And just to prove that crooks really are stupid, let me take you finally to Covina, California, California, in 2011, where three not very savvy 19-year-olds decided to steal a barrel of beer from the Baja Ranch Market. Two of them stormed in, picked up the barrel, stormed out. Yeah. Market employees gave chase. Rugby tackled one to the ground, but he wriggled out of his trousers and ran off without his pants. <laughs> the second one jumped into the waiting car, yeah. hit the accelerator, but immediately had to swerve to miss one of the men chasing him and hit a sign for the market, which fell, I like to think, in slow motion, uh -huh. creaking and sparking onto the roof of the car. Uh, he, then, he then tried to get out of the car, but as he crawled away, his trousers fell down. <laughs> and the third and final one, the third and final of our stupid criminals, abandoned the barrel of beer, ran into a nearby car wash. As you do. However, he became stuck between the brushes and the jets of soap and wax, <laughs> eventually emerging spread eagle on the bonnet of a Lincoln town car driven by an elderly couple who'd taken their pride and joy through the car wash for its monthly spruce-up. Did he still have his trousers on, at least? He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> As he crawled away from the vehicle, his trousers also parted company with his waist and ended up soapy around his knees. Goodness me. I mean, any time the story ends up with something soapy around your knees, it's not gone well. No, it's not, has it? It uh, certainly hasn't. Let me guess, did all three of them leave their wallets with their ID in their pants pocket? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and they were all taken by Verlin Aslan. Yeah. <laughs> At the risk of causing people to think that we do actually think about this before we put it together. I've got a bit of space news for you. Oh, right, OK. This is our theme this week. 
Milking giraffes in space. Have you ever heard of Olympus Mons? No. Well, perhaps you should have done. It is the highest known mountain in the solar system. Right. It's situated on Mars. So, you know, in relative terms, not that far away. It is two and a half times the height of Everest and is more than 14 times the size of that traditional measuring stick, the country of Wales. Ah, good. <laughs> well, when it's standing on its edge. <laughs> it's so big that due to its size and the shallow slopes of Olympus Mons, an observer standing on the surface of Mars wouldn't be able to see the entire profile of the mountain. It's too big it's to see. It's just too big the to view. see the edges, the top, anything. Yeah. Even from the from a great distance, the curvature of the planet and the mountain volcano it is, strictly speaking, uh, the curvature of the planet and the volcano itself would obscure the view. And an observer near the summit would actually be unaware of standing on a very high mountain because the slope of the volcano would extend far beyond the horizon. Blimey. It is so big that it is effectively sinking into the surface of Mars and it's created a kind of crater around the lowest slopes of the mountain. That is massive, isn't that, it? That is big, isn't it? Created over millions of years by thousands and thousands of lava flows that poured out of volcanic vents, piled up on top of each other, added to by millions and millions of tons of ash and dust that settles on top. And because Mars doesn't have tectonic plates like we do here on Earth, there's nothing moving underneath it, so it just all stays there and piles up on top of each other. And they reckon it's still an active volcano, but not very frequently these days. And it'd be fascinating to be able to go there, wouldn't it? And land a rover on it, or eventually some humans. But unfortunately, unlikely we'll ever be able to land on it because it's so high, the atmosphere is too thin, so parachutes wouldn't have time to open effectively and uh, everything would crash to the surface and burn. Good God. Why, why are we trying to send spacemen up there? To Mars? Yeah. Have you seen the state of our planet? Oh, yeah. yeah. We've got to have somewhere to go. You just reminded me. <laughs> <laughs> On the subject of space, then, uh, let's do the answers to this week's quiz, fact or fiction. Okay. I said the UFO that crashed at Roswell, New Mexico in 1947, was really the pet project of an oceanographer. Now, fact or fiction? Fact. Fact. Okay. During the Second World War, the American oceanographer Morris Ewing discovered the presence of acoustic channels in the sea okay. that allowed sound to travel vast distances in the ocean. Yeah. I think we're aware of that now, aren't we? We, we know that the whale song can, can yeah. carry many, many miles. After the war, his principle of acoustic channels was also applied to the atmosphere and used to develop high-flying balloons fitted with sensitive listening equipment that could detect and locate Soviet nuclear tests. Good man. It was one of these balloons with its ultra-secret acoustic equipment that crashed in Roswell in 1947 and spawned stories of little green men. Brilliant. So all that malarkey yeah. around Area 51 yeah. is absolute baloney. 
just to protect the identity of Morris Ewing. <laughs> Did you ever see that amazing um, Louis Theroux one when he went to uh, Area 51 and he ended up, oh, what was his name, the, the name of the chap that he spoke to who claimed he could communicate with aliens? Oh, <laughs> I can see it now. Louis sat there interviewing this man and he's surrounded by all this sort of memorabilia and, and, and stuff and nonsense. And he says, can you communicate with the aliens now? And he says, yeah, yeah, no problem. And he sits there and his eyes roll back in his head and his mouth come, kind of deforms and he starts going, <laughs> Great, isn't it? Oh, you've got, to, you've got to find that one and watch it. It's amazing. That's, it's just wonderful, man. I can go back uh, even further than you um, to a programme called One Pair of Eyes, mm-hmm. which... Uh, which was a great BBC Two program, which which basically um, latched onto anyone with alternative views. So you'd be looking at the world through one pair of eyes, through his eyes or her eyes only. And the astronomer Patrick Moore was sent out to talk to a man who could speak Venusian <laughs> and would uh, communicate with the people of Venus. And it was a very similar kind of thing. He said, well, how do... This yeah. little bald man with no teeth. God bless him. And Patrick Moore said, well, how do you communicate with these Venusians? He said, well, they come in rave. They come in rave, sir. And they, they come down through my head. He said, and are they coming down through your head? Oh, yes, they're coming down. And what are the Venusians saying to you at the moment? Patrick Moore said, what does that mean? He said, I have no idea. <laughs> oh god oh. where have we got i'm one from one am i not oh you are yes okay fantastic uh, fact or fiction astronomers have discovered a planet where it rains molten glass sideways yeah i mean as much as i want that to be true i don't think it is the planet HD 189733B, catchy, is probably <laughs> one of the most inhospitable you've, you've ever heard of. Okay. Um, situated 63 light years from Earth and roughly the size of Jupiter, the atmosphere of this planet reaches well over 2,000 degrees Celsius, causing fine silica particles in its thick atmosphere to melt and come together to form small beads of molten glass, which is propelled by winds seven times the speed of sound in the form of supersonic sideways rain. Goodness me. <laughs> Isn't that great? I t- I'll tell you what, it's a good job that we're able to discover these things before we have developed the ability to actually go and visit Thank the planet. Because if we turned up there, what's it like? It's not great, if I'm honest! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, we're, we're looking for astronauts. Only glass blowers need apply. So you said that, that was a fiction. It's a fact. It's yeah. A fact, well. not all. And finally, uh, NASA has a program designed to blow up asteroids with nuclear bombs. Yeah, that's exactly the sort of thing <laughs> that your Texans would do, isn't it? <laughs> Down there in Houston. As of 2018, NASA has begun concept studies into a means of destroying or deflecting an asteroid headed for Earth under the Hypervelocity Asteroid Mitigation Mission for Ener- Emergency Response Programme. 
the subtitle for that uh, that program is "What Could Possibly Go Wrong." <laughs> <laughs> uh, the more Hollywood appropriate title is Project Hammer. <laughs> oh Presently, the project's most likely target is the asteroid one hundred one nine five five Bennu. Oh, it was Bennu, mm. you? Which has a one in two thousand seven hundred chance of colliding with the Earth in twenty one thirty five. NASA scientists are exploring two main options, the destruction of the asteroid using a large nuclear bomb mm. or pushing it off course by crashing a high-speed spacecraft into it. Ah, well, I think I prefer the second option, personally. Do you think? That's going to have to be a big spacecraft, isn't it? It's going to have to be a big spacecraft, but... If the option is that, or having risking fragments of asteroid infected by nuclear waste falling on Earth. And that brings us to the end of our little podcast. And on that nuclear bombshell... Yeah, oh, <laughs> did you see what he did there? Three funnies in one podcast. You'll want to be coming back next week. Thank you very much indeed for being there. Until we meet again, toodle pip. That's time at the far end of the bar. You've been listening to Richard Lewis and Ben Orr. If you enjoyed your time with us, please don't forget to like and subscribe to make sure you catch the next episode. And find us on all the socials. Just search hashtag TFEOTB or email us at thefarendofthebar at gmail.com. Cheers! Cheers!